Hello and welcome everyone to episode 32 of the Ducky O'Brien Show. And yeah, it's been a while since I released an episode. I went to Korea for two weeks, and then after I came back, I was sick. So I've been dealing with that for a little bit. And now I'm finally back on a more regular schedule. Anyways, I may consider releasing like an episode detailing my trip to Korea. I have all these things that I feel like doing, and then I just don't end up doing it. So we'll see what happens. Okay, moving on, we have four more indie games for today's episode. I was going to schedule a release, but I was cramming in as much coverage as possible before leaving for Korea, and I I didn't finish the last article for my set of four games, so I couldn't record this episode, so I'm doing it now. Also, as a side note, I do keep an eye on analytics, and for some reason, people are still listening to my podcast, especially the older episodes, so... Uh, I don't think they're catching up on the later episodes, but yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, Thank you to everyone for dropping by. If there's anything you would like to hear or if there's anything I can do to improve this podcast, please feel free to let me know. You can reach out on my YouTube channel, Twitch. You can leave me an email at duckyobrienshow at gmail.com. If you want to know how to spell O'Brien, it's O-B-R-I-E-N. So the four games we have for today are Battle Shapers, Diarrhea Step Into Dreams, which is the demo, Solium Infernum demo, and the Cyber Paradise demo. Battle Shapers is like a first-person Mega Man roguelite. Diarrhea is sort of like Darkest Dungeon a little bit. Solium Infernum is sort of like a turn-based strategy RPG. You don't really micromanage anything, it's more macro. And then we got the Cyber Paradise demo, which is a roguelite with a card building mechanic. Moving on to Battle Shapers. I've seen plenty of roguelites over the years, and the genre is fairly popular for the most part. They are mostly two-dimensional in terms of movement and or graphics. You see many games sharing mechanics found in games like Spelunky, Binding of Isaac, Dead Cells, Hades, and so forth. However, you don't really see as many first-person shooter roguelites for some reason. Battle Shapers is one of the few first-person roguelites I have played. I know Returnal is one, but I didn't have an opportunity to check the game out yet. I'll just cut to the chase. Overall, I enjoyed my time with Battle Shapers. The game feels like Mega Man, but in first-person. As always, I'll start with what I perceive to be the flaws in the game. Now I understand what I am about to describe may not be problems for other people, but I always mention them so that people will be aware of any potential issues. My main goal is to provide as much information as possible to help people make a purchasing decision, and to that end I have videos, streams, articles, and podcast episodes to cover as many aspects of the game as possible. One of the main flaws, in my humble opinion, is the lack of weapon and grenade variety in the very beginning of the game. This is a very minor flaw since you start unlocking weapons after just an hour of playtime. However, it definitely did feel a little stale when you kept running into the same weapons and grenade abilities in the same run. Instead of feeling excited about finding a new weapon or ability in your run, you are met with disappointment since it's something you've already seen. Now again, this is a very minor problem since you earn enough currency to unlock new weapons pretty easily. 
but it may create some friction and turn a small portion of gamers off from continuing the game. A simple fix would be to increase the starting pool of weapons and grenades by even just one more, and the beginning of the game would feel much better. Another very minor complaint is that most of the weapons feel the same. Now, the different weapons actually do different amounts of damage, have different effects as well as range, but as for how they feel when you shoot them, they all feel the same. This is mostly because the pool of weapons is very small at the very start, and once you start unlocking more, you get more unique weapons. Even with more weapons, however, there's just something about the game where the shooting feels a tad lackluster. It might be the audio design or the visual effects, but they don't feel too different from one another. Personally speaking, it didn't really take away from the game, and I pretty much enjoyed using most of the weapons, but it didn't really feel like I had to change my playstyle to match any of the weapons other than for the shotgun, since the range on that weapon was very short and you only have one bullet before having to reload. This leads to another very minor complaint, reload times. Reload times take what feels like forever in this game for some weapons. Battle shapers can feel fast paced at times, and being stuck reloading a weapon is not fun at all. It slows the pace of the game down because you have to run away and find cover and wait for your guns to reload. Now you do have a passive upgrade that reloads unequipped weapons, and you have two weapons you can switch between. This kind of bypasses the long reload times, but it just doesn't feel too fun for me. Now again, I actually enjoyed Battle Shapers quite a bit. These minor complaints didn't really take away from the fun I had, but they were noticeable enough to me that I brought them up. As for the positives, the game looks pretty darn stylish. The world is very colorful and shiny. Everything looks pristine and slick. I didn't even think of this, but most of my friends watching me play this game mentioned that it looked like Overwatch. This is probably one of the few times that someone has compared something to Overwatch as a compliment, sadly. The gameplay is very fun for me. The game has an interesting mechanic where punching a staggered enemy will restore shields. This led to me shooting most enemies from afar, running up to punch a staggered enemy, and finally dashing away to safety to then repeat the process all over again. It feels fantastic except for the few times when the punch misses, mostly due to my own error. The shooting, punching, and movement felt pretty smooth and seamless for the most part. The punch is sort of similar to Doomfist in Overwatch, where the momentum of the punch carries you forward slightly, but definitely not as far as Doomfist does. In addition to the punch are other movement abilities, but I've only unlocked a dash so far. There seems to be a wall run ability which I've yet to unlock. This leads into another fun aspect of the game. Similar to Metroidvania titles, some areas of the map are inaccessible without certain movement abilities, and you have to go look for them in some hidden side areas of the world. There does seem to be an upgrade that lets you punch through walls as well, but I have not found that yet. Like Mega Man games, once you reach the end of the level, you have a boss fight, and they feel pretty fun for the most part. Some people complain about the bosses being pretty bullet spongy on launch, and the developers seem to have nerfed the health quite a bit. I was able to beat the first boss on my second try, so it doesn't feel too difficult. The first boss had a tiny floating drone that shot bullets and lasers, and the main boss robot would shoot bullets and then leap at you with a melee attack that did massive damage. I died halfway through the first level on my first playthrough, and then at the boss on my second, and finally beat the boss on my third. 
Once you die, you go back to the main lobby where you can spend your earned currency to unlock new weapons, abilities, and passive upgrades to health and shields for future runs. The rate at which you earn currency seems to be pretty fair in that an hour of gameplay should get you at least one new unlock. Overall, Battle Shapers is a fun game. The shooting and movement feel great, and combing through the levels to mindlessly shoot robots, find loot, and unlock new upgrades makes for a fun experience that doesn't take itself too seriously. For additional information, Battle Shapers currently has a review score of 88% positive reviews with a total of 136 reviews as of this writing on October 19, 2023. Battle Shapers was developed and published by Metric Empire. It was released on October 3, 2023 with an MSRP of $24.99. I did receive a free key from Terminals. Thank you so much to the person that approved my request. I spent a total of 3.5 hours and there are no achievements for this game. Moving on to the second game, Tharia Step Into Dreams. Tharia Step Into Dreams is a demo for an interesting take on a dungeon crawler genre made popular by games such as Darkest Dungeon. While the combat feels pretty similar to Darkest Dungeon, Tharia focuses more on the exploration than the combat. The game is made by a two-person dev team, and while they did a fantastic job for the most part, there are definitely some flaws in almost every aspect of the game. Diarrhea has that homemade indie game feel. As a person who plays a lot of games, I tend to be more on the pessimistic side, so I make sure to ask my friends for their opinions to make sure I'm not being overly critical on a game. One friend is also a one-man dev team, and an important point he brought up was that it definitely looked like a lot of work and care was put into the game. This was something I kind of overlooked. Another friend brought up the viewpoint that some may actually like the game's artwork, while I personally thought it needed improvement. Reading through the reviews currently on Steam, it does look like the majority of players really like the artwork, so I may be in the minority here. While I think knowing how a game was made is important in understanding it better, I don't think it needs to be considered from the consumer's point of view. What I mean by that is that it really doesn't matter if the game was made by two developers or a thousand if the person playing the game is not having fun. They won't suddenly change their opinion if they learn how the game was made. The most important aspect to consider for me is how the person playing the game will view the game. This isn't American Idol where every contestant needs a sob story and then proceeds to sing in a mediocre fashion. To this end, I know there are many different opinions and when it comes to taste in games, they differ wildly from person to person. I do try to keep all possible individual preferences in mind, but I can only do so much as a single individual. I will definitely try my best to cover as much of the game as possible. This is why I ask my friends as well as skim through Steam reviews to get a feel for what other players like or dislike about the game. Most people seem to agree that the combat is actually great. It's very complex and has a lot of depth that is not so easily accessible at the start. I only spent about 2 hours in a demo and I barely had a grasp on the basics. The game has an interesting day and night cycle which affects the combat in a large way. One way it affects the combat is that certain moves can only be used during certain times. Also, I had a werewolf guy that turned into a scrawny regular guy once it became daytime. The wolf form was definitely cooler. This makes me wonder, would it be considered catfishing if a werewolf made a Tinder account while in wolf form? So many questions, so little answers. 
While the combat and everything around it definitely has depth and feels fun, some aspects of it are unnecessarily complicated to the point it feels convoluted, at least in my opinion. This is reflected in the user interface and menu systems of the game. There are so many windows within windows containing text that overwhelms the player with information that is not necessary to the game. Also, the interface does not make it clear which parts are buttons, which are tooltips, and which are just for displaying information. There just seems to be a lot of mechanics that exist for the sake of existing that don't add any value. For example, does this use to craft random stones? The stones are combined to create a random unit. Why not just use dust to craft the monsters directly? I get combining different stones give you different monsters, but this isn't really a skill-based or necessary mechanic. It's just another step added to a process in a game where there are already too many things to do. The game definitely has some magic in the combat, and the complexity and death should be focused there. Everything else should support the combat or add to it in some unique way instead of just adding more tedium that takes you away from the core focus of the game. It's like a great director making a fantastic movie only to use a mediocre editor that leaves a lot of unnecessary footage in, making the film weaker. It's dilution. A great editor cuts out unnecessary things, even if the scenes look amazing. That's what I personally feel Thyria needs, an editor of some sort to really take a look at the game and cut things out that are diluting the magic of the game. I understand that doing that will not be easy, especially when it's your own personal passion project, since everything is important to you and has meaning, but it won't be the same way on the consumer side most of the time. As for the artwork, Thyria has a lot of hand-drawn sprites that look great for the most part. Personally, I think the artwork is 95% there and needs a professional to do some touch-ups. But most people that played a demo that left reviews seem to love the artwork. To each their own, I guess. The general flow of the game goes something like this. You craft new monsters, upgrade and tweak existing ones, pick a mission, go into the mission, explore the map and collect treasures, fight some battles, and then exit to level up. The exploration aspect of Diarrhea does feel pretty unique. The exploration takes place on a map with points of interest, treasures, and ghosts. The ghosts spawn anywhere and fly at you, and you have to defeat them by throwing a fireball. It's pretty simple and easy to deal with, but a developer did mention in a forum post that there are 5 types of ghosts so far, and harder ones will spawn in later levels. The map has a risk versus reward aspect where you can stay longer to collect more treasures, but risk fighting more battles and taking more damage from ghosts spawning frequently. The treasures go into your satchel, which is a grid, and every item has a different size and effect. Once you exit the level successfully, the treasures essentially convert to experience points. There are also locations where you encounter text events that may reward you with some treasures depending on what you pick. I haven't run into all of them, so I'm not sure if there are some events that penalties instead of rewards. While the exploration is enjoyable, it does feel a bit repetitive since you are essentially doing the same thing every mission. As a side note, for the narrative aspect, you are a witch diving into people's dreams in order to help them conquer whatever is haunting them. I must say, the English dialogue is quite possibly some of the worst I've ever read and needs an editor as soon as possible to clean it up. It may just be translated from Google Translate because so many lines of dialogue are stuffed with too many unnecessarily complicated words 
much like a student stuffing as many words as possible using a thesaurus into an essay with a word requirement, as one friend put it. The overly verbose dialogue is quite similar to the user interface, and the game can benefit overall from some streamlining. One example of simple writing that still has some flavor and identity of its own is shown in the Solium Infernum demo. Most of the word structure is actually very simple, but they use keywords here and there to create a comic effect, but still staying true to the overall theme of the game. You don't ever need to force complexity. It comes naturally if the mechanics are well made. Overall, Thyria Step Into Dreams is a promising demo. While I try my best to cover as much of the game as possible, the best method is to try the game out for yourself. The demo is still available on Steam as of this writing if it sounds interesting to you. I think the game definitely has some magic, but desperately needs more focus and streamlining in the dialogue, the user interface, and slight touch-ups in the artwork. Most of the people seem to only have minor issues and enjoy the demo. I don't do this often, and I should do it more, but thanks for stopping by and taking the time to read my blog and listen to my podcast. It does really mean a lot. For additional information, the demo currently has a review score of 83% positive with a total of 110 reviews as of this writing on October 19, 2023. I did check recently and it seemed to have a little bit more negative reviews. Daria Step Into Dreams was developed by Two Cats. It was published by Grab the Games. And the demo was released on October 7, 2023. The full game has not released as of this recording. The MSRP is free, the demo is just freely available, and there's no pricing information on the full game. I did receive a key from Keymailer, thank you to whoever sent me the key, and I spent a total of 1.8 hours in the game, and there are no achievements. Moving on to our third game, Solium Infernum. This is the demo. Solium Infernum is a simplified turn-based strategy game, similar to games such as Civilization, and it definitely reminded me of Heroes of Might and Magic. The overlord of hell has gone missing, and now all his factions are vying for the throne. You play as one such faction, and everyone takes turns plotting their devious methods. The game is pretty simple and easy to grasp in terms of the mechanics, letting the focus shift to general strategy instead of micromanagement. During your turn, you can only queue up to two actions total. Most of the time, you'll be moving troops and collecting tribute, but you can also spend one action to buy things from the bazaar research things, scheme, or take diplomatic action, and so forth. Moving troops around is very simple as well. You can move a platoon of troops two tiles every turn. You can only move them onto cantons you own or onto unowned cantons. The cantons are tiles. When you move troops onto tiles that are not owned by anyone, it simply becomes yours. No one can move troops onto cantons owned by another faction unless you are at war with them or subservient to them. When you are at war with a faction, you can steal their tiles, but the enemy can do the same to you as well. As for the combat, it initiates when your unit moves onto a tile occupied by an enemy force, a place of power, or a wandering dog-like creature. The combat is automatic and the damage is calculated in a very straightforward manner. Each legion has three ratings, one for ranged damage, one for melee damage, and then one for spell damage. When you fight another legion, the difference between the three ratings are calculated, and that is how much health is lost. For example, if your legion has a ranged damage rating of 5, and the enemy legion has a ranged rating of 3, you would deal 2 damage to the enemy legion. 
If the ratings are the same, no damage is done to any legion. You can modify the damage numbers by hiring praetors from the bazaar and attaching them to your legion. Each praetor will boost different areas, so you can either hire a praetor to shore up an area your legion is weak in, like melee damage, or to further strengthen a stat that is already high. You can also attach tactics to legions. Tactics do things such as increase range damage by 2 and etc, but these tactics cannot be seen by other players. It's like activating a trap card in Yu-Gi-Oh. There are other mechanics as well, so while the game looks simple, there's plenty of depth to each element of the game. Solium Infernum does a great job of streamlining things so that they are easily understood and easy to use. Collecting tribute is very simple as well. When you collect tribute, you select two coins out of three on the next turn. Each coin has different emblems, and these come into play when making purchases at the bazaar or taking any action requiring funding. For example, the Stygian Guard Legion costs 9 Ghost Coins, 2 Blood Coins, I'm assuming it's a drop of blood and not water since it's hell we're talking about here, 7 Fire Coins, and 4 Moon Coins, so you would try to get those coins when selecting your tribute. It is entirely viable, by the way, to use both of your actions to collect tribute if so desired. Solium Infernum has a sense of humor as well. In order to invade the cantons of other factions, you can make a demand of tribute. Most likely, the faction will refuse, and then you can retaliate by invading. You can choose a condition for victory, such as defeating an enemy legion in battle, or conquering five enemy cantons, and then the war will end. The end goal of all these actions are to earn prestige, and the faction with the highest prestige will win the game. There are also schemes and plenty of other ways to screw with the enemy factions. Once in a while, there will be legislation that will be passed that every faction must vote on. Communism is where the demons draw the line. Blood sacrifices are okay, communism is a no-go. Anyways, for example, one time I had the choice of voting between every faction losing one legion purchased from the bazaar and one other option that I don't remember since I'm getting old. I picked the legion one because I assumed the starting legion you received at the beginning of the game would not have counted as being purchased from the bazaar. Boy, I was so wrong. I lost my only legion that I was upgrading early in the game. Needless to say, I quit that game and started a new one immediately. There's definitely a lot of mechanics, but the mechanics are very easy to grasp and simple to use, but definitely hard to master. Overall, this Solium Infernum demo was pretty enjoyable. One of the few issues I did run into is that the demo was pretty unoptimized on my PC. The demo is no longer available, unfortunately. For additional information, the game has no review score as the game is not out yet. Solium Infernum was developed and published by League of Geeks. The release date is coming soon and there is no pricing information. I spent 1.5 hours on the demo so far and there are no achievements. Finally, our last game, the Cyber Paradise demo. Cyber Paradise is an interesting take on the action roguelike genre. You only have one weapon throughout the game, but you can build and modify your character by picking up cards. The cards are spread throughout the level and also dropped after defeating enemies. The card system is interesting because not only do cards add new abilities, they can also modify the cards next to them. The bonuses from cards can range from passive buffs like increasing your HP or silly abilities like laying eggs whenever you jump. This one may sound useless, but if you have enough egg cards, they actually deal enough damage to wipe out mobs. 
Just imagine laying dozens of eggs while jumping around willy-nilly. While the abilities are pretty unique, there doesn't seem to be too much variety in the builds you can make, at least as the game is presented in the demo. The game also seems to have a sense of humor with the literal paywall character you can destroy. Destroying the paywall gives you access to all the game's features so you can experiment with different card builds. As for the narrative, you have a main hub area where you can talk to NPCs. After beating the level, you receive a memory shown in still images. The narrative progress itself felt a bit stifled and convoluted because details weren't made clear and the amount of exposition given was very limited. It left me feeling a bit detached from the story because you don't know what was happening or who the characters were. This isn't necessarily a complaint but merely an observation as the gameplay itself was enjoyable enough. Overall, the Cyber Paradise demo was a game with some promise. The game felt like an average roguelite, but the car mechanics did offer something unique, although they did feel more on the shallow side. Hopefully the game's narrative feels more fleshed out by release, as well as adding a tad more variety into the possible car builds. Best of luck to the devs. For additional information, there is no review score because the game isn't out as of this writing. Cyber Paradise was developed and published by DD Meow Games. It's supposed to be releasing sometime in 2024, and there is no pricing information. I did receive a free key from Keymailer, thanks to whoever sent me the key. I spent roughly 2 hours playing the demo, and there were no achievement scores. Okay, that's gonna be it for episode 32 of the Ducky O'Brien Show. Thank you so much for dropping by and listening. I really do appreciate it. I am still feeling a little bit under the weather, so hopefully my voice sounded good enough. I may release an episode in the future detailing my trip in Korea. If that sounds interesting to you, please feel free to let me know. It's almost Thanksgiving when I recorded this podcast. So happy Thanksgiving to all of y'all in America that celebrate. If you guys want more information on the game, I stream the game on Twitch. I also have unedited gameplay where I play through the game on YouTube. And then I have the written article, which is what I'm reading for the podcast. And so I try to cover the game in many different forms as much as possible so that a person who's interested in purchasing the game can have as much information and make an informed purchasing decision. If you are interested in those outlets, uh, you can just Google Ducky O'Brien. That's my handle on Twitch. That is also my channel handle, at Ducky O'Brien for YouTube. But the channel name itself is Archivers. If you look up Archivers, I should show up on YouTube. My blog is DuckyO'Brien.com. And the podcast is The Ducky O'Brien Show. Alright, if you want to reach me, there's many ways. You can leave a comment on any of those outlets. You can also email me at duckyobrienshow at gmail.com. That's D-U-C-K-Y-O-B-R-I-E-N-S-H-O-W at gmail.com. Also, as a side note, I'd like to mention here, I noticed that playing through so many games does have a detrimental effect on your enjoyment of video games. When playing a game for coverage, I tend to be more impatient in terms of trying to get to the core mechanic of the game and the core quote-unquote fun of the game. And when it takes too much time, I I tend to be very frustrated. So (laughs) when I'm streaming, I don't sound very happy. But usually I overcome that when I spend more time with the game. I learned that the game definitely has more nuance than I thought and more depth. 
in my opinion, you need to spend roughly four hours with the video game before you start to understand it. Even after playing hundreds of games and playing so many games, you still need to spend a couple hours with the game before you kind of start to get a feel for it. It's kind of sad because I, I think the general stat is that you have to grab the player's attention within the first 30 minutes or so. Otherwise, I'll just move on to another game or do something else. Before I keep rambling, anyways, if there's anything you would like to listen to, if there's anything you want me to cover, let me know. I'm, I'm always up for feedback. I may not do it depending on how much effort it takes, though. <laughs> All right, that's going to be it. This has been episode 32 of the Ducky O'Brien Show. Thank you so much for dropping by and listening. I really do appreciate it. And as always, hope you guys are staying safe and seeing out there. And I'll catch you guys next time.